Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live.
Heavenly Father, God, I ask you, God, to touch her, Lord, and deliver her, Lord, God, from this attack. I ask you, God, to strengthen her breathing, strengthen her lungs, Lord, God, now and long term, God. We ask, God, for your mighty power, Lord, Father, God, your hand of virtue, Lord, God, for you touch her, Lord, God, and heal her, Lord, and strengthen her, Father, God, Open up her airways, Father God. I ask you, Lord God, to bless her and to help her and to strengthen her and to heal her. I ask you, God, to deliver her from every attack spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. In the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke the dust, I rebuke the allergy, I rebuke every attack, physical, and spiritual, mental, and emotional. I rebuke the attack of the enemy, I rebuke the attack of the flesh. I ask you, Father God, to anoint, heal, to deliver, and to strengthen. In the name of Jesus, God, for your glory, Father, for your inheritance, Lord, Father, God, for your children's sake, Lord, God, for your bride, Lord, for your church, for the precious member of the body of Christ, Lord, for your member, Father, God, in the name of Jesus, for the body of Christ, for the kingdom of God, for the glory of the name of Jesus, praise your holy name. We thank you, Father, God. Thank you, God, for this healing. This day, this victory, in Jesus' name, We really need to check to see how much it's going to cost to get these vents cleaned out. We can vacuum the carpet, and the whole container of vacuums will be full every time we vacuum. There is a ton of dust. And this and it gets all over everything else. We need to see how much, even if it costs $300, we're going to have to fix that. So even if we have to get along, we're just going to have to do it. Everybody be praying for financial resources to get the vents contact. Let's go in prayer. Lord Heavenly Father God, we praise you, God, we worship you, Father. Let's all stand, please. Worship you, Father God, and praise your holy name. And thank you, God. You have given us a place, Lord God. There's always uh, things that must be dealt with wherever we gather. When we gather in the woods, there are things that have to deal with. When we gather at picnic tables and parks, people's houses, or even a building, wherever we meet, there's always something that we have to deal with. So we praise and glorify your name, Father God, that you always make it way. That we're not having to deal with people right now yet uh, searching us down, seeking out to kill us. People coming in here hollering and screaming and telling us that we're deceived, that we're false prophets and everything else, that we're not having to deal with that today. Yes, right now, at this second. We have a place that you 
security, that we have a safe place to be. We praise your name, Father. We know the times are a bit harder, structurally, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and that we are being tested. We ask God that you strengthen us spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically for the days ahead. We are being tested. Praise God for the testing. We ask God to purify us. Help us, Lord, get out all the GMO stuff from our bodies. Help us, God, to restrain ourselves from compromising the poison. God, there's poison in everything we buy in the store, everything. And it does no good to avoid one GMO thing or one halal thing and yet eat another GMO or halal. We might as well do it all or none. Help us, God. Deliver us from this body of death. Deliver us from Babylon, from Hollywood, from every unclean thing, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. From every unclean thing, deliver us, God. Cleanse us. Cleanse our minds, our abode, our dwelling place. Cleanse us, please, God. Purify your bride and get us ready to meet you, Lord. Get us ready for paradise so that we will not have to welch you away, be cast into the fire, but that we will be good branches of the family of God, bearing forth good fruit, God, to your kingdom. We ask God for your special help today, Lord. I know, God, that some of it may be provoking. Some of it may really be a trial and a test. But we must get ready, Lord. This is not a game. We must press on. We must press. Oh, God, help us, Lord, to get ready. Purify us, Lord, and help us be willing and able to receive correction and your word, Lord, that we be purified and made ready as a church without spot, without wrinkle, and without blemish. Purify us, God. Have your way today, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we glorify your name. In Jesus' name, so Amen. We're going to start in the book of Corinthians here in a minute. You can turn that light back on there if you want, and that back there if you want more light. I don't have a light on by then. Okay. For the record, 
day on the Roman calendar is January 16th. January 16th, 2016 A.D., the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in God's created calendar, it's the sixth day of the 11th month. Sixth day of the 11th month. And today we're going to be talking about transformation, transformation. And we're talking about this in the context of preparing for Passover that's coming up in April, as well as preparing for the appearance of the Lord, the catching up, the trumpets, the great tribulation, all these things, eternal life. Transformation. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians 11. One Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says here, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Paul said, basically, imitate me, look at me, and follow my example. He wasn't trying to lift himself up out of pride, but he was doing his pastory uh, duty, his pastoral duty, uh, and also as an apostle of the church, as a district manager regional manager and so forth of the church and a prophet and everything else that he was to say, I belong to Christ. I am an imitator of Christ. He said, just as I also am of Christ. He is an imitator of Christ. He is looking at Jesus and becoming like him. That he wasn't just saved today, but that he has gotten saved, repented, been baptized, received the gospel, and grown and was called and ordained in these positions of office administrator for the church that we can look to people who are leaders. And not that we are lifting them up to worship them, to praise them in a wrong way, so there's nothing wrong with praising leaders in the right way. The Bible talks about that. And he praises people. Paul praises people. That doesn't mean worship people. But he's not saying worship me. He is saying, look, I've been saved. And I'm truly saved. I'm looking at Christ. I'm imitating Christ. I'm acting the way he acts. I talk the way he talks. I think the way he thinks. Follow me that I may lead you in this same way. Verse 2. Now I praise you. I praise you. Not I worship you, but I lift you up. I encourage you. I encourage you. We all need encouragement because 
You remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions. I encourage you. I praise you. I tell you what you've done right. I'm telling you what you're doing right so that you'll continue, that you be encouraged, that you be lifted up, not in worship, but that you be encouraged because that you remember me and everything. In other words, you're praying for me. You're giving me financial help physical help, everything. You remember me in the things I need remembrance of. And holding firm to the traditions. But in the word traditions here, he's not talking about the law. But he's talking about things that he himself, as a man of God, has instructed. As his own uh, pastoral advice. So he's talking a little bit here in the next few verses about his own pastoral advice from his background of the things he's learned by following Christ, things he's learned in his background, in his walk with the Lord, that these people are holding firm to the things that Paul has taught them, both in the law of the Ten Commandments and in his own personal instructions, his own pastoral advice, just as I delivered them to you, he says. Verse 3, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. So right now, he gets immediately into this next teaching. He says, you've already accepted a lot of my teachings. Now I want you to accept this teaching, that the man is the head of the woman, but above all is God. Verse 4, every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. The context now moves into the man is the head of the woman, but also talking about in the worship service, praying and prophesying. This is not in the context of at home, even though the man is the uh, head of the woman at home, but he's talking here now in the context of worship services. Women come together as a group. When there are men and women praying together in a worship service and prophesying and sharing the gifts, exercising the gifts, in a formal worship setting. Now, in that day and time, when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, it was the custom. It was the tradition. He said that you follow my traditions. It was the custom, it was the tradition that the women would have a head covering. Just as it is today in Islam and all that, it's not wrong for a woman to have a head covering, but they're doing it for the devil instead of doing it for God. But there's nothing wrong with a woman having a head covering unless it is out of legalism. Because this was a custom. It was a tradition. Now, Paul kept this custom and tradition because of where he lived, where he had grown up, things he had learned as a child, the things he had learned already in his walk with Christ. In that day and in that time, the society traditions. 
And there's nothing wrong with following society traditions of uh, shaking hands or whatever different traditions that we have in our society that we that we grow up in. Verse five: But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or to uh, her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God. In a few minutes, we're going to talk about us becoming the image and glory of God. We are being transformed from the old to the new. The old is gone, the new has come. We're in the process of being transformed. Amen, praise God. I received a lot of confirmations of this message, even this verse right here, because I did not realize it talked about the image of God in this particular passage. But that's what we're talking about, being transformed into the image of God. But the woman is the glory of man. From man, for man, verse 8, for man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. So he's saying, when we come together as a church, in his region of the world, in that day and in that time, that the women, when they came to worship services, and especially if that woman was going to stand and pray publicly, or if that woman was going to prophesy publicly, that she ought to have a symbol on her head, on her hair, to represent both on her hair as well as having long hair, and a hat, both, to have a symbol that she was under the authority of the man of the house and her spiritual leadership, which he was under Christ. So that that woman who is recognizing that she's not standing up in service out of order, she's not standing up in service disobedient or saying something that's wrong, incorrect, uh, or out of rebellion, or to exhort, exhort authority over the man, or exhort authority over the pastor, or over the elders, but rather that she was doing so in submission to Jesus Christ, in submission to the truth, in submission to the Holy Spirit, in submission to her husband and the pastor. Not that she couldn't say anything if she was teaching, if she was prophesying, if she was praying, know that she... Not that she couldn't say anything. But if you're all, all the men are in front of the house of God and all the women are in the, house, the back of the house of God, that's the way it was in this setting, that the men were closer and they didn't have an intercom and it was a much larger building, that the men would be able to hear the best. And the women sitting in the back would not be able to hear so well. So that when the the women could not hear that they were not supposed to speak up in church, that's what the other verse talked about. I think in Timothy, 
to not let them speak, but if they learn anything, to ask their husbands at home. It was in that context, in that region, in that day, in that time, that was the custom of the church. That was the custom of the New Testament church, as well as the Jewish synagogues, that the women would sit in the back. So he's saying in the other verse, to allow the women to wait so there would not be confusion, there wouldn't be out of order, there wouldn't be excessive talking, that the woman's not trying to holler up five rows ahead or ten rows ahead to say, what he say or what does that mean? But to wait till you get home to discuss it and to ask the questions. But in this context, that's the other verse, but in this context, it's talking about women being allowed to speak and to minister in the service. But now that would have only been allowed in the New Covenant Church, not in the Jewish synagogue. So he had grown and adapted in his own tradition. He had he had changed in his traditions to where women could speak as long as it was in the work of Christ. But even then, only under the authority of her husband and given by a symbol of a head covering. Now, verse 11, however, in the Lord, neither a woman uh, is in the... Neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Fields. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? Well, he was saying that as a man that was born in the Roman territory of Tarsus, so that he's not speaking as a a Jewish person, even though he had Jewish blood, but he was speaking as a Roman citizen living in the Roman Empire. And the Roman custom was that men had short hair. But the Jewish custom and the Hebrew custom is that men had long hair. So he's talking as a man from living in the Roman Empire during the Roman Empire. This is his personal opinion that it was a shame for a man to have long hair. It is not thus say of the Lord. It is his tradition, as he said back in verse 2. Verse 15 says, that If a woman has long hair, it is the glory to her, for her hair is given to her for, hair, for covering. Verse 16, but if one is inclined to be contentious, meaning in disagreement, we have no, it says other practice, King James says no such custom, nor have the churches of God, meaning the congregations of God. In other words, he says, everything I just told you about head coverings, customs, traditions, Throw it out the window if it's going to cause a problem, if there's going to be disagreement, if it's going to cause disunity, if there's going to be any problem, who cares? If a man or a woman wears a hat or a man or a woman has short hair, as long as his first and primary point is recognized, 
His first and primary point is there must be order. There must be order in the house of God and in our homes, in our families, and in society. And that order must be Jesus, then the man, then the woman. I mean, if we don't like it, then we have a problem with Scripture, not with the pastor, because that it goes beyond tradition. That goes to the Word of God. So then verse 17, but in giving this instruction, I do not praise you. And I praise you for what you did good, but now I've got to give you some correction as well. And it's always a good practice to always, if you've got to correct somebody or uh, tell them they're doing something wrong or tell them what they could do better, give them the praise first. Tell them what they did do right first. Encourage them first to let them know, I'm not coming to you in a condemning spirit. I'm not coming to you in a judgmental spirit. I'm coming to you out of love. And I'm recognizing that what you are doing right, but also I do see a need and I want to help you. So says, I do not praise you because you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. So he's talking about coming together in a worship assembly. The context of this whole chapter of chapter 11 is coming together in a worship assembly, a formal gathering. But he says, you're not coming together for the better, but for the worse. There's chaos, verse 18. But in the first place, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, as an assembly, I hear that divisions exist among you. And that, in part, I believe it. But there must also be uh, fractions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. He's saying, you know what? It's not good in a way for there to be divisions. We're not supposed to have divisions. But you know what? There must, it, this must occur. Must, there must also be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. There's got to be the tires and the wheat come together. There's got to be lost and the save and a mixed multitude to come out of Egypt and across the Red Sea and go into the wilderness together in mixed motives. For a time and a season, for purpose, for the purification of the church. And so the, those that are true will be made evident so that we know who's true and who's not true. Verse 20, Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's supper. In other words, it should be to have communion on that day of Passover. So now he's, talk, he's talking in the context of a specific day of the year now. On Passover Day, that you may think you're coming for the communion, but you're not, because it says, verse 21, for in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and the other is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? In other words, he's saying, y'all coming together in a sacred, sacred, Worship of God, communion is take the blood and body of Christ. 
and you're treating it like trash by coming and eating a whole meal instead of just the communion and by coming and gulp and, and with gulping and drunkenness instead of taking one thimble of the wine. You get, this proves it's real wine. This proves that Passover should be red wine. I will never again compromise with cranberry juice. It is contrary to Scripture. They were using real wine, and it should be real wine. There's nothing in the whole Bible that says we should drink cranberry juice or alpha juice. It's real wine. And when we compromise with that, we're saying, you know what, I'm bowing to Babylon, I'm bowing to legalism, that one drink, one thimble is sin. That's compromised with Babylonian false doctrine. Because one thimble of real wine is not sin. Amen. Verse 22. So it was real wine, and this also proves that he's saying, don't you know you have houses to eat and drink in? He's saying, you can drink at home, but don't get drunk in the house of God. Have respect for the house of God. He's not saying you can't drink at all. If it was true that we can't drink at all, he would say that. But instead, he says, drink at home instead of not drink at all. We've got to get rid of man's bondage. This Pentecostal doctrine of no drink at all, any alcohol to sin is bondage and is oppressive of the people of God and the liberty that we're supposed to have in Jesus Christ. Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. I recognize what you did right, and I will also recognize what you're doing wrong as a pastor. Amen. In verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in that night in which he, which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. This, dude, that's a commandment, not a suggestion, not a tradition, not an ordinance of Paul, not an ordinance of Moses. The word, this should be in red. Jesus talking. This, dude, in remembrance of me. Not remembrance of coming out of Egypt, not remembrance of Moses or the Old Covenant, but in remembrance of Jesus Christ. Communion is a new covenant thing. Amen. So when we take that wine, when we take that bread, it is not for drunkenness. It is not for physical pleasure, but it's to remember Jesus Christ. When we sip that Wine, when we taste that unleavened bread, Christ on the cross should be in our mind. Christ on the cross. Not Christ at the supper table. 
not Christ on the Mount of Olives, but Christ on the Holy Cross, which is not a pagan symbol. It is a wooden stake in the shape of a cross which he died and gave his life, and he would not put his holy body, his holy temple on a pagan symbol. He would not do that. He would not defile his body by doing that, and he would not nail our sins to a pagan symbol. It's not beautiful, it's not gold, it's not silver, but neither is it pagan. It's not something to be worshipped. We worship him, not the wooden thing with blood and splinters on it. But we look upon him on the cross. In his agony, upon his death, his blood, that he did that for us. At communion. Communion should not be taken lightly. Communion is a serious thing. So Paul is like, we got to get this in order. I can't just let chaos reign. I can't just let compromise reign. I can't just let Babylonian doctrines reign. I can't just let, I cannot compromise. We're talking about the blood of Christ here. We're talking about our salvation, that wonderful power of the blood to treat it with reverence and sacredness in the house of God and to treat the communion sacred and to treat the house of God sacred. Amen. And there must be rules. There must be rules about what you can drink, what you can't drink, how much to drink. There must be rules in the house of God. If you live a little bit of leavening, it leavens the whole lump. If you give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile. There must be rules in the house of God. Now it says in verse 26, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord to death until he comes. That don't mean do this often. It does not say do this often. It does not say take communion often. It does not say it. It says often as you do do this, do it in remembrance of the Lord's death until he comes. That means every year, every Passover, for a hundred years, for a thousand years, for two thousand years. If it takes ten thousand years, don't stop keeping communion. Don't say it's done away with. Do it all the way until the very day he comes. It's not done away with. Do it until Jesus comes. Amen. Do it until Jesus comes. And as I take communion as often as once per year, and you should take communion as often as once per year. And it's saying as often as you do this, it's talking about only on Passover day. To do it any other day is to trample the blood of Jesus. Because the wine is sacred, the bread is sacred, the house of God is sacred, his death is sacred, the communion service is sacred, and Passover day is sacred. These are sacred things that should be treated with sacredness, with reverence. Verse 27, verse 27, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner should be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. 
Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So it's saying here, in the context of taking communion on Passover day, verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. So it's saying that when you come together for communion, you're eating and drinking the communion in verse 27. And whoever does this communion in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood. That's huge. Do you want to be guilty of killing Jesus Christ, of crucifying the Lord? I don't think anybody wants to be guilty. I don't think anybody wants to be the person that put the nails. We all are guilty of that in a sense, by all of our sins, but not really in the sense that Paul's talking about right here. Paul's talking about in the sense of that you are guilty of murder, that you are guilty of treating the blood of Christ and sacrifice of Christ on the cross as a unsacred thing, as unclean, as common, an everyday thing. To take communion every day, to take communion every week, to take communion every month, is to treat it as a common, everyday thing. Nothing, nothing sacred. You can do it anytime, anyway, any manner. Anybody can take communion. That's not sacredness. That's not reverence. It's not reverence to the blood of Christ and to that communion to say anybody, anyone can take communion any, any way they want, any kind of juice, any kind of rubbish, anything. Just, just do it just like water, just a normal meal every day. It's not a normal meal every day. It's sacred. Now, we need to be careful because it gives a warning here. We, not only do we not want to be guilty of this, but verse 28, 1 Corinthians 11, 28, that a man must examine himself. Must. Must, 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 must examine himself. So before we take communion, we've got to examine ourselves. It's not something where the person just um, takes communion with no fault. No preparation, no previous prayer, no previous teaching, no previous understanding to build up to that sacred service. No. Because the churches of this world says it's just another service just like last week's service. It's not. It's not. And so we must examine ourselves ahead of time. The next Passover communion is in April. And between now and April, we've got time to examine ourselves. And we need to take these next three months, whatever, to examine ourselves. Take time to think, to pray, to fast, so that when we take that cup, we're not eating it like potato chips. That we're not drinking that wine like grape juice. 
No. It's not grape juice. It is the wine of the blood of God. And I cannot emphasize how sacred that is. And yes, it's only a symbol. But it's a symbol of the thing that saves us from death, from the lake of fire, from the end of our lives, to never exist again, to be destroyed. What saves us from all that? Saves us from darkness, saves us from sin, saves us from being lost, saves us from everything, from ourselves, from our past lives, from every wrong thing we've ever done to cleanse us, to change us, to transform us into the image of God is all done by the blood of the Lamb of God. It's not done by grape juice or potato chips. It's done by the blood of the Lamb of God. So let's examine ourselves in these next few months. Verse 28, but a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So the word examining is all about in this communion context of this chapter. Verse 29, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Now that's talking about a couple of different things here, two or three different things. The body is Jesus Christ on the cross, crucifying himself. But it's also talking about the church because we know that the church is the body of Christ. Amen. And we must judge the body of Christ. That's written in the scriptures that tell us to do that. If we're reading the Bible over and over, spending time in the Bible, as much as we can, as much as we are drawn to it, then we should see that there's scriptures about judging the body of Christ. And if he does not judge the body rightly, we need to judge the body of Christ rightly. Not wrongfully, not with a judgmental spirit, not with a condemning spirit, but with scripture and with righteous knowledge, with understanding, with patience, with grace, with mercy, with understanding, but also with the truth. Amen. Verse 30, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and are never sleep. Dead. There are people that are dead. I probably know some. You probably know some. There are people that are dead asleep in the grave because they did take communion any day of the week, any month of the year, without examining themselves, without realizing what they was doing, treating it like grape juice and potato chips. It's a serious thing. And if we do communion wrong, we could die. That's a serious thing. And I think it's talking not only about temporary death, sleep, but eternal death eventually if we don't start treating the blood and body of Christ sacred. Verse 31, but if we are judged, if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. Amen? If we judge ourselves, then we don't have, we don't have to have anybody pointing the finger at us. Amen? We should, we should be most critical of ourselves. I think a lot of people are, and that's a good thing. We should be most critical of ourselves. If we judge ourselves, then we won't be judged by Christ. Amen. 
Praise the Lord. We got to judge ourselves. We got to judge ourselves these next few months. And let's turn to a couple other verses about who can take communion. Communion is not for everybody. It's only for the saved. Because this is not something you do to get saved. That's baptism and repentance. This is something you do after you're saved to recognize what you've already done in Christ and what he continues to do. Let's look at a couple of verses. One is in Old Testament and another one's going to be in New Testament again. But let's look at Exodus 12, verse 43. Exodus 12, verse 43. Look at verse 42. Oh, let's go. Oh, we got a little bit more. <laughs> a little bit more. Let's squeeze it out here. Let's go back to verse 37. Exodus 12, 37. Love you, Marshall. Glad you're here. Thank you, Jim. Love you, brother. Okay. I got some presents and gifts for you if you sit through the whole sermon. Thank <laughs> you. I'm right out the door. <laughs> oh, boy. What's that mean? <laughs> You think I'm preaching hard? Yeah, just wait. I keep it up. <laughs> Exodus 12, verse 37. Uh, love you, Crystal. Yeah. I see your closest to the door. And will be the one around. He's the only one with car keys. No, you got car keys too. Uh oh. I'm out here. I'm just a little late. Better late than there. It's all right, sir. It's all right. You can come in late anytime you want. Verse 37, Exodus 12, 37. But the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sokoloth, about 600,000 men on foot, beside from children. So that's 600,000. Only counts males, not women, and not children. So it was probably like over a million people that crossed the Red Sea. Amazing. And verse 38 says, a mixed multitude also went up with them. So it wasn't only the Israelites that left Egypt, but even some Egyptians went with them, a mixed multitude. Now, spiritually, this represents both the saved and the lost. Both the saved and the lost spiritually represents that. Remember earlier, I said it must need to be a mixed multitude. It must need to be a mixed multitude. And if they went up with them, along with the flocks and the herds and a very large number of livestock, so you got um, over a million people plus a huge number of livestock. That's quite a move. Verse 39, they baked the dough which they had brought out of Egypt into cakes of unleavened bread. So this is talking about Passover and unleavened bread, the same context of communion. When you take communion, it's unleavened bread, or it ought to be unleavened bread. For it had not become leavened since they were driven out of Egypt and could not delay, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. 
Verse 40, now the time that the sons of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years, and at the end of the 430 years, to the very day, to the very day on the anniversary, all the hosts, all the multitudes of the Lord went up out of the land of Egypt. And it is a night to be observed for the Lord, Jesus. It is a night to be observed for Jesus. Not for Moses, but for Jesus. For having brought them out from the land of Egypt, this night is for the Lord. The sacred thing. To be observed by all the sons of Israel throughout their generations. For the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. No foreigner. No Gentile. Spiritually, that represents the lost and the saved, that the communion is only for the saved, not for the lost. Now, people will say that that proves that Passover and all the holy days, the seventh day and everything is only for the Jews. But to believe that, would have to, you would have to believe that the Jews are only, that all of Israel are Jews, and that's not true. If we read the Bible, there were 12 tribes. Is that not true? And the tribe of Judah were only one tribe. And we could say the house of Judah were two or three tribes, but the Jews themselves were only the tribe of Judah, one tribe. So how can we say that it was for the Jews only? It's not even saying that here. But it's saying it's for all 12 tribes, all 12 tribes. That's more than the Jews. If you take a million people divided by 12, only one tribe was the Jews. So it's never been only for the Jews. Never was. You can't prove it in no words. You can read the entire Old Testament a million times. You can never prove from the Old Testament or New Testament, either one, that it was only for the Jews because they were only one tribe of Israel. And all the holy days were for all 12 tribes. And those 12 tribes, all 12, both Jews and non-Jews, represent a foreshadowing of the New Testament church. That's very, very, very shown, very clear in the Scripture that the old covenant physical house of Israel and all 12 tribes was a foreshadowing of the New Covenant church. So, and when we look at things not in the letter of the law, because we're not a letter of the law, we're not old covenant people. When we look at it in the spirit of the law, this represents the church. This represents communion. The blood of Christ is for God, it's not for Moses. It says it's for, for, for the Lord. But it does say here about eating this unleavened bread, now that, not the holy day itself, but the communion, the communion, the bread, is only for the circumcised. Only for uh, not the foreigners, just no foreigner is to eat of it. Not that no foreigner should keep the day, but no foreigner is to eat of it. You can never find where it says no foreigner should keep the day. You can only find where it says the foreigner will not eat of it. Because the foreigners represent what? The Gentiles, the law. And it says here in verse 44, but every man slave purses with money after you have circumcised him, then he may eat of it. 
then he may eat of it. So this verse 44 is a slave, perishes with money. That may be both Gentile and non-Gentile. Okay? So then it is saying that even if they are Gentile, even if they are a slave, as long as you circumcise that Gentile, he is one of you. You adopt him into your family. I believe it's the book Romans. I'm sure it is. Romans talks about the family tree, how it started with the roots, how it started with the Jews and all of Israel. It started with all of Israel, not just the Jews. Then, as the tree grew into the new covenant time frame, then the Gentiles was adopted in. So the Gentiles, once they are circumcised spiritually, mentally, emotionally, once they come to Christ and be converted, they are spiritual Jews. They're part of Israel. Verse 47, I know I'm skipping. Verse 47, all the congregation of Israel is to celebrate this. That word congregation shows that the Old Testament body of Israel is a foreshadowing of the church. Congregation of Israel. Right there is showing you that Israel of yesterday is a foreshadowing of the spiritual Israel, the saved people, of the church of God. Amen. And you can feel free to read more of this uh, at home, talking about sanctifying yourself, the Passover. These chapters here talk about sanctifying yourself for Passover in chapter 12 and 13 and some of the previous chapters. But talking about who is a Jew and who is circumcised and who can eat of this, look at Romans. Let's turn to Romans now. Romans chapter uh, 2. Romans 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 28. Verse 28 and 29. Romans 2, verse 28 and 29. We also welcome Prophet Larry over the internet tuning in as well. So we appreciate him tuning in also. And of course, Jennifer. Appreciate Jennifer and Dana and all of her family and all of her children. Romans 2, verse 28. So he is not a Jew. He is one outwardly. He is not a Jew, he is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. So we should praise one another, encourage one another. But the praise we're really seeking is from God, amen? We want to hear God say, well done, my faithful servant, amen. But who is a Jew? Has that got anything anymore to do with bloodline anymore? There's no difference between Jew and Greek now, right? But here it says that there are Jews if we are circumcised 
in the spirit of the law, if we're circumcised in the heart, then we're saved and we're spiritual Jews and we're of the house of the congregation of Israel and we can partake of that Passover. We can only take that Passover wine and bread only if, only if we are truly saved. And we've got between now and Passover day in April to test ourselves, examine ourselves. Am I truly saved or do I still need to repent more, get baptized again, and get in there 100% for God and truly be saved so that when I take that wine and that unleavened bread, that I can, I can be for sure that my soul is not condemned to death and that I'm not bringing a curse on myself. We don't want to bring a curse on ourselves by taking communion. We have to examine ourselves. Look at 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 14. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, all the way up to chapter 7, verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, all the way to chapter 7, verse 1. There's water in there if you want some water. Okay. I understand. I was in that predicament one time myself, so I understand. Verse 14. Verse 14 says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship have light with darkness? Amen. Or what harmony has Christ with Paul? Or what has an unbeliever in common with an unbeliever has in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God, talking about our bodies, with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I would dwell in them and walk among them. I would be their God and they should be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate. Now, they went in as a mixed multitude, but they came out of the wilderness only. The only ones that existed, that was alive at the time that they went in, was Caleb and Joshua, Aaron, and that's it. And the rest were born in the wilderness. Three men, only three men survived. A million people. And only a million people. And only three men that went in came out. Except for those that were born in the wilderness. By the time they crossed the Jordan River, every man and woman and child was less than 40 years old. Except for Aaron, Joshua, and they went in a mixed multitude but they came out separate we come in unclean but we leave clean we come in one way and leave another amen this is communion that 
We got four months to separate ourselves. And the only ones who take that communion is those that are still endearing for the Lord, saved, covered by the power of the blood of the Lamb. And it says, verse 17, Therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. In grace? No. It says in fear. Not in grace. Not in license to sin. Not in license to continue in our old self, but in the fear of God. Fear that he will kill us. Amen. Let us cleanse ourselves. Let us cleanse ourselves. That doesn't say depend on God to do everything. Depend on God to deliver you of everything and snap his finger and you're clean. No. By a process. You accept God on uh, your baptism. When you take your baptism, you say, and even before then, when you surrender to God and say, okay, this is it. I surrender. I accept you. And then you say, I repent, I confess, and then you get baptized. You're sliding a ring on your finger, basically, spiritually, saying, I do, I am your bride, and I will become without spot, without wrinkle, and without, without blemish by the time that the wedding supper comes, that my garments will be pressed, that I will walk into that marriage supper without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, I'm going to be decked out. I'm going to have a tie. What do you call those things you put on your wrist of a shirt? Cuffling? Cuffling? Whatever that is. I'm going to wear those. <laughs> I probably never wore none in my life. I don't think. Maybe one time. But I don't mind wearing a tie except for a bow tie. That's for sissies. <laughs> and Englishmen. Sissies and Englishmen. But... I will be glad to put on a tie for the Lord and, and, and put my shirt and my pants, even though I hate that too. But I've got to go into the marriage supper respecting the marriage supper, respecting that ceremony. That marriage supper is a sacred ceremony. You know what that marriage supper is? Sitting down with Jesus and taking communion with him of the wine and bread, that marriage supper of the Lamb of God. Jesus said, I won't partake of this no more until in the kingdom. So do we sit with Jesus at the table as an unclean man? Let us not be Judas. Let us not sit at the table of Jesus Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb of God uh, wanting only grape juice and potato chips. But let us sit down at the table of God without having to shrink back and expecting a steak. Amen. So then, 
Let's turn to uh, Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, verse 19. I have a memory turn Hebrews 10. Verse 19 to 31. Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 31. Verse 19, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus and by a new and living way, which he inaugurated, you know what I'm trying to say, for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, through his body, through his crucifixion, that we can enter the holy place. Confidence, verse 19. Verse 19, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence, boldness, to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he did for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Think of this in the context of communion here now. That let us draw near with a sincere heart, circumcised heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. King James there, instead of saying stimulate, it says provoke. And I like the word provoke better in that particular verse of uh, King James in that particular verse. Let us provoke one another to love and good deeds. Sometimes a person needs a good slap in the face. If somebody is screaming and hollering histori- hysterically, then sometimes you've got to slap them, right? You've seen that in, on TV at least. Sometimes you got to shake somebody. Say, oh, that's it. Come down. Right? But we've got to provoke. Now, another way of provoking is just tell somebody straight out that you got to get your act together, right? That you got to stop being so fearful, so historical. Historical! I can't say that word. That you got to stop being wrong. <laughs> Oh, God, give me a new time. Uh, but we've got to sometimes provoke. Everybody wants to be always gentle, never stirring up, never provoking, never offending. And they think if you offend anybody, that you've done wrong, that we're never, ever supposed to offend. That love means never speaking the truth. Love means never judging. Love means never correcting, never offending. Go alone, coexist. Well, that ain't love. 
Because if you truly love somebody, and if you're close enough to sit down with them and help them out with their problems, then you should be doing so. Because if you don't, then you don't love them. Love helps. If you got a, a real close friend, don't you help them through not only the good times, but also the bad times, the things they need help with? Say, you know what? That man or that woman is bad for you. Look at all the teenagers in your school and all the girls going with all the guys and all the guys going with all the girls. And if you're a true friend, don't they say, you got to dump that jerk. He ain't no good for you. And that's how you know you're a true friend. Amen? Well, we got to provoke one another sometimes. we got to provoke. And sometimes that means disfellowship. Sometimes that means disfellowship. Sometimes that means, you know what, I love you, but when it comes to Passover, you can come here every week and learn and learn and learn and grow and grow and grow, and that's what I want you to do. That's what I want you to do. Anybody, come here and learn that when it comes to Passover, the only people that will be allowed to take communion is those that show the, the fruits of repentance that they are truly saved truly say because if I allow somebody to take communion and we pass that cup, we pass that bread, and we partake of their body, that we have to judge the body. If we do not judge the body, then we are fellowshipping light with darkness. We don't do that. So communion is only for the saved. And we have to say sometimes what we have to say in order to provoke them to good works, in order to provoke them to do right, to get them where they need to get. Amen. Now it says in verse 25, not forsaking our own assembly together as in the habit of some. So we've got to keep coming but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, even more as the time draws near and the great tribulation is closer and closer and Jesus is closer and closer. We've got to come services more. In verse 26, for if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. That's serious. If we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. It doesn't matter if we did get baptized. Doesn't matter if we did confess. Doesn't matter if we thought we did repent. Now this don't mean from day one you're perfect. No, it don't mean that. We all have a process. Passover represents that you did accept him, you got saved, but then you got seven days of unleavened bread representing seven thousand years. The process of coming out of sin. It's not done in one day. None of us are perfect from day one. We're children. We're babies when we first get saved. And then we gradually grow, gradually, day at a time, day at a time, till we get there to the image of Christ. Amen. But this is talking about those that are not in the process of cleaning, not in the process of cleaning, not in the process of growing, not in the process of... Well, they started out as an infant, but by a certain time, you should see that they've grown to six months old, a year old, two years old, three years old, 
so they become a teenager, then a full adult, full maturity, and then even to the point of old age and wisdom. That's the way every Christian should be. It's after a certain amount of time of living for the Lord that you see wisdom in a change of life, a change in maturity, a greater level of maturity over time. Amen. But the people that's not showing that and are just remaining in sin, not growing in knowledge, not growing in understanding, not growing in the scriptures, not cleaning themselves, not purifying themselves, not getting their wedding suit ready, not becoming without spot without wrinkle, but they're still living the same old life. There's no change. There's no transformation. They're not looking any more like Christ now, 12 years later, than what they did before they got baptized. Being there's no, there's no sacrifice for them no more. The blood does not remain for them no more. They are not saved. Even if they're keeping all the holy days, even if they're keeping all the law, they're not saved. If you don't see that process of transformation. Now let's look at Luke 14. Book of Luke, chapter 14, verse 25, Luke fourteen twenty five. Verse 25 says, Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, Now this is a large crowd, like a million, you know? A large crowd, a mixed multitude of people were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brothers and sisters, yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I've said this before, I'll say it again, that we should not take that literally, that we should hate our entire family. That's crazy. A better translation is in Matthew 10. So hold your finger there because we're coming back. But just to see a better translation, Matthew 10, verse 34. The Bible does not, the scriptures, the original scriptures do not contradict themselves. But man's translations contradict themselves. Matthew 10, 34. Man's translations contradict themselves. Not the original scriptures. Matthew 10, verse 34 to 39. Verse 34 to 39. Verse 34 says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Amen. He who loves father and mother more than me, it doesn't say hate them. It says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. This is the same words. 
Christ didn't say both statements of Luke and Matthew. He only said one or the other. Amen. They're both Matthew and Luke. I mean, Matthew and Luke are both quoting Jesus Christ. One was translated better than the other. That's all it is. It's translation. So Matthew is a better translation of that particular quotation of Jesus. Verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That includes cousins, nephews, niece, sisters, friends, co-workers, anybody. We must love Jesus more than any person on this earth. Verse 38, And he who does not take his cross and fall after me is not worthy of me. That means crucifying yourself. Crucifying the old person. That means transformation. That means changing from what you used to be to what you're going to be. And your end result is looking like Christ. And follow after me. Amen. Now let's go back to Luke. Turning back to Luke. Verse 27. Luke 14, 27. Luke 14, 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he does not build a tire, does not first sit down and calculate the cost? I believe King James or another translation says, count the cost. Count the cost. For Passover, we need to count the cost. Even for living for God. We've got to count the cross. What does this mean? What do I have to sacrifice? What do I have to sacrifice to live for God? To live for God, does that mean I can keep living the old way and not make no change? No, it doesn't mean that. But that's what a lot of churches teach. Manly churches, cardinal churches, fleshly churches, just keep doing the old thing. You can't, don't have to change. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to adopt anything new. You don't have to adopt any of the commandments. You don't have to obey any of the commandments. Grace, mercy, grace, mercy, grace, mercy. No holiness, no righteousness, no obedience. It's ridiculous. You've got to count the calls here to see if he has enough to complete it. Are you going to follow through? Are you going to finish, come across the finish line? Verse 29, otherwise when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to be another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000, or else while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and acts as the terms of peace. But then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. We must be willing to give up father, mother, daughter, son, cousin, nephew, niece, friend. We must be willing to give up jobs, houses, careers, money, cars, jewelry, silver, gold. We must be willing to give up TV, comics, sci-fi, 
false doctrine, Babylonian churches. We must be willing to give up false doctrine, traditions of men. We must be willing to give up things that are wrong, things that are bondage, things that are binding, things that are compromised, things of the old self to become an entirely new creature. We must be willing to give up anything to God. Who or what do we love more than God would be a good thing to be examining ourselves about. Between now and Passover, what do I still need to give up before I take that Holy Communion so I don't bring a curse on myself and so that I don't bring a curse on the other members of the body of Christ? Because we're all one body. And what one person does affects all of us. When Jonah was running from God, the whole ship, everybody on the ship could have died if they hadn't thrown him overboard to cut a separation between him and them. One person affects everybody. And we must be willing to give up anything, regardless of how much it's worth, physically, carnally, to give up our possessions if we're going to follow God. Because things of the world get in the way. There's too much luggage, too much baggage. Without, we've got to get rid of all of our baggage. We've got to get rid of our baggage. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. We don't want to take trash bags of trash with us. We want to serve God wholeheartedly. We must be willing to change. We must be willing to change. Let's look at Romans 12, verse 1. Romans 12, verse 1. We're going to read all of Romans 12, all the way to chapter 13, verse 2. All of Romans 12 to verse 13, verse 2. Now, for those listening over the Internet or by phone, if we get disconnected, if we ever get disconnected, give me one minute to reset the Internet, reset the phone, and then call back in or reconnect on the Internet where you can finish listening to the sermon. I'll say that because sometimes it does. So just letting you know, a heads up, if we ever get, get disconnected over the Internet or over the telephone, give me one minute after you realize you're disconnected then redial back in. If it's still not working, give it another minute, then redial back in or connect over the internet. Now in Romans twelve verse one it says, Therefore I urge you, brother, urge you. That's that's strong. It's a provoking. A provoking. I urge you, brother, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. That's what we're doing when we take communion. And that's what we're doing through the whole journey of our lifetime, eventually, by the time that we go to the marriage supper, we want to be able to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Now, you don't sacrifice just anything to God on the altar of the old covenant, but only those that was without thought, without blemish. 
acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. Don't start looking like this world. Don't be conformed to Hollywood, to Babylon, to the magazines, to the advertisements. Don't, don't be conformed to this world. But, opposite. But, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We all need transformed. Every one of us, without exception. We must be transformed from the old to the new. By the renewing of your mind, we have to have our minds renewed. We can't continue to walk with the old mind that we used to have. We have to walk with a new mind and continue the process. It takes process of renewing that mind, but we've got to re-burn our CDs. You know, when you burn a CD, and if you don't have any new CDs to use, if you've got to reuse the same temple, if you've got to reuse the same body, then you have to re-burn the data within that same CD. You have to erase that CD and burn the new data on the same CD. We can't shed our bodies. We have to reuse the same body, but we have to erase all the pornography, the cuss words, the idolatry, the love of money, the love of the possessions that hinder us from true spiritual worship of God, erase all the corrupt things and put on the new man and burn the mind of Christ into us, transforming. That's what we're talking about today. Transforming and renewing of our minds so that you may prove what is the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The will of God, the perfect will of God. Verse 3, for, though, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, so we have to erase the pride. Erase the pride. But to think so as to have sound judgment and burn in new data of sound judgment. We have to erase the spirit of being over-judgmental, over-condemning, and put in new data of sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Verse 4, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Look at a whole sentence in italics. Mark through it. A whole sentence in italics? A whole sentence in italics. Well, don't we just mark through that? Man has added that. Each of us is exercising accordingly. Man has added that. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with... Uh, Liberty, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, and let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, claim to that which is good. So you have to erase the old data of evil and put on the new data of hating that evil. Abhor it, it means to be disgusted at evil, to hate it, 
and to cling to that which is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, that means being passionate in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation. We have to persevere in tribulation, not escape it, but persevere in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Devoted to prayer. That means praying every day, regardless of how busy we are, regardless of the circumstances in our life. It may mean a different amount of time frame each day, sure, but not skipping our prayers. Verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. That's hard, that's difficult. But as we continue the process of unleavening, as we continue the process of removing the old self, the cuss words, the revengeful spirit, the payback, the payback with the mouth, the payback with the fingers, the payback with different things, different methods of payback, as we undo that and burn in the mind of Christ, then we... Our minds are being renewed. Our minds are being transformed to where we can start blessing. To where we can start blessing. But I have to give you a testimony that was definitely tested and attacked today while I was working on gathering the scriptures for the sermon. I received a phone call and I answered it thinking that it might have been somebody wanting... uh, something from the food pantry, but it was my nephew, Tommy. And I had uh, just very recently disfellowshipped from him because the Holy Spirit moved upon me that this man, regardless of his blood relationship to me, is of the devil. Compromising with the devil, living for the devil, speaking for the devil, not saved, not crucified in Christ, not growing in Christ, just demonic. And it doesn't matter who they are, which have no fellowship with darkness. When we see that they're not going to change, they're not going to repent, why even speak with the devil? Why walk with the devil? Why commune with the devil? Why invite the devil in your house? You cannot save the devil. Only God can save that type of person. So I know I was moved, and the fact that he called me out of revenge to curse me out, instead of saying, you're wrong, I am saved, instead of saying, you're wrong, I do live for God, just a bunch of curse words, and started speaking in demonic tongues. Not Holy Ghost tongues. Uh-uh-uh. Holy Ghost don't curse. That proves to me that I made sound judgment. That proves to me that I did right by separating light from darkness and judging what calls himself the body of Christ. That I made the right call. And I am so glad that he called me that proves to me that he is a Satan. Just like 
when Tammy, and yes, I will say her name. Paul told people's name. I'm not gossiping. I'm not talking about people. I'm declaring the word of God. Paul repeatedly named people by name and still written to this very day the names of the people who he called out who were contrary to the Holy Spirit. But just like when I disfellowshipped from Tammy because the Holy Spirit moved upon me to separate myself from darkness both times, that she would repeatedly, 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 even after I told her, do not call me, do not write me, do not text me, no communication with me. Instead of cursing her out, just tell her, I don't want to argue. I don't want to fuss. Let's just put an end to this. Even the last time I this fellowship from her, my very first words to her, let's just not argue, but simply give me peace and separate in peace. But no, she proved to me that she's satanic. Proved to me of her repeated attacks over and over and over and over. That phone call, that text, that letter, that message, that message, that message. And then contacting others to get more poison, darts sent my way. People prove themselves as satanic when you disfellowship from them. Darkness rears up. You say, you're of the devil, you can expect that devil to rear his head, right? You say you're of the devil and you call somebody out, you can expect that devil to speak right back to you and prove, huh? Yep, they're possessed. They prove themselves who they are. And if we always lovey-dovey, I love you, merciful, there's nothing wrong with you, there's no sin, there's nothing, you are my brother, you are my sister, I will overlook everything. No judging. No discernment. Love and grace and mercy and never know this fellowship, then you're just communing with the devil. And we are not to be that way. We are a holy and set apart people. There must come a time for a separation of the mixed multitude. Not only in the end, but even now, because the Bible is full of scriptures talking about disfellowship and separating ourselves from those that corrupt good manners and so forth. Plenty of scriptures on that. But, you know, I've learned the best way to deal with these people after they manifest the demons in them is just worship God. Because it don't matter what you say. They've always got to come back. It don't matter what you say, what verse you give them, what reasoning you give them, what you heard from God. It don't matter. You can't help them. They are already of a reprobate mind. You can't help them. The only thing you can do is start praising God. So that comes right here. Bless, verse 14. Bless, say, I love you. Praise God. Start singing a song. Start reading the scriptures. And they will hang up and never call you back. And I have never experienced that before in my life. That they hang up first, 
I never called back because I started praising God and singing in the name of Jesus. And those demonic tongues, I ain't had nothing to do with that. I ain't listening to somebody sing the name of Jesus. Hang up and don't call back. Boy, that's a good way to get rid of them. Man, that's a good way. God knew what he's talking about. Paul knew what he's talking about in this verse. When they come against you, bless. Bless Jesus and bless them. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Because cursing them, that ain't going to harm nothing. But if you worship God or bless them, they will hang up and you'll never, ever hear from them again. Darkness will flee in the presence of light every time. You turn that light switch on, darkness will flee. And that darkness will stay gone until you turn your light back off. Then the darkness will come back. You disfellowship from someone, you better not take them back until they've proven themselves to you and to God that they have, uh, what did John the Baptist say, works of repentance. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another and do not be not haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. You know what that means? It don't mean associate with sinners. We just talked about that. It means associate yourself with people who are willing to submit themselves. That's what it means with lowly. Those who are willing to be submissive to the Holy Spirit, to the Word, to the Scripture, to correction. Because if you correct somebody that's of the devil, they will not accept it. But if you correct somebody of God, they will accept it. And if you really want to know who is saved and who's not, correct them, and they will manifest whether they're saved or not. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. God will take care of it. God is in control. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. That don't mean never disfellowship. You've got to read a whole Bible. You've got to read every verse, the whole Bible. It don't mean never, ever, ever, ever disfellowship. But now if somebody is hungry, yeah, I will feed my enemy. If somebody is hungry, I will feed my enemy. Right here I'm translating the Alpha and Omega Bible. And I'm going to put in the newsletter very soon now that when this is done, I'm going to be mailing it out to anybody that wants a free copy, even if I have to give a thousand dollar loan. I would give a free translation Bible to anybody, anywhere that wants this Bible, including those I've disfellowshipped from. And I'm going to put that in the newsletter. Even if you disfellowship from me or if I disfellowship from you, and I commanded you to never call a writer or anything, and you want this Bible, contact me for this specific purpose, and I will send you this Bible. Because if they're hungry for the Word of God, then I will feed them, but I won't embrace them in the congregation until they prove that they have gotten saved. Because I will not allow the devil to corrupt this congregation. Verse 20, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
And if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing good it will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. And that includes pastors, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That we are to subject ourselves, even the man to Christ and even the woman to the man. We are to subject ourselves to those that are our spiritual leaders and physical leaders. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Amen. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. Those that resist authority are stubborn. There are people that don't like authority, don't want to obey God, don't want to submit themselves to their husbands, don't want to submit themselves to pastors. Who dare me, who dare them, who do they think they are, tell me what to do? Or that I've sinned. Who are they to tell me I have committed a sin? How dare him to preach on me? People don't like to submit to authority. But that is the spirit of the devil. That is the spirit of the carnal self, the old self, the rebellious self, the stubborn self, the sinful self. We've got to be willing to be transformed by the word of God, by the preaching of the word. We've got to be willing and wanting to be transformed on a daily basis, weekly and monthly, to continue to grow and grow and grow to the full maturity of Christ. We're never going to get to be the image of Christ if we're fighting the whole way. If we're like, well, I don't want to listen to you. I don't want correction. I don't want godly correction. I don't want counsel. I don't want my toes stepped on. We're never going to get there. Never going to get there. Unless we're willing to receive correction from God's servants, from the church, from the family of God, and from the written scripture, and from the Holy Spirit. We've got to be willing to receive correction. Look at um, Acts 2. Acts 2.37. Now, transformation and renewing of our minds is a process. And there is the initial, and then the process, and then the end result. So, the initial transformation the renewing of our minds is first of all hearing the word of God.
being convicted, hearing the Word of God, and then being convicted by the Word of God. And that comes again, you've got, once you're convicted, then you've got to confess, confess to God and to man. Well, God, self, and man. You've got to profess your sins to God, to yourself, and to man. Realizing that you need change. And realize that you must change. Amen. So, realizing that you need to change and must change. So, in Acts 2.37, Acts 2.37, now when they heard this, Peter was preaching. They heard the word of God. They heard this and was pierced to the heart. That's Acts 2.37. So your initial beginning transformation, renewing of your mind, is first you must hear the word of God, unfiltered, uncompromised. Two, you must be pierced to the heart. You must be convicted. Now, if you're convicted, then you got then follow through with that conviction and profess your sins to God, yourself, and to man. People don't understand they've got to confess to man, but if you look in scriptures, it says it repeatedly that they confess their sins one to another. So, and with that conviction and confession, we must realize that we need change and must change. So these people that uh, go to Joel Osteen Church and Hillsong Church that are uh, unrepentant, Whooping homosexuals, they have not repented, they have not said it's a sin, have not said that they've repented, and still sit on the front row of Hillsong and Joel Osteen. And they stand there week after week, every Sunday, and preach and never say a word that homosexuality is a sin, and continue to allow them to come, never preach against it. How are they going to get convicted? If you never preach against it, how are they going to get convicted? They're not even hearing the word of God. They're hearing a false gospel. So you got to preach the true gospel, which includes stepping on toes. How are you going to be? How are you going to be convicted unless the word of God steps in your toe? Conviction hurts. Conviction hurts. Confess to God itself to man. You realize that you need change. You must change. You can't use excuses. I was born this way, or just it's just the way I am. You can't say that's the way it's always going to be. You need change. I need change. I must change. Must change. If we don't change, then we will die in the lake of fire. We have to renew. This ain't no option. We have to be transformed to the image of God. There is no darkness in God, no barrenness or shadow, no darkness, no sin in the kingdom of God. We have to do this. This is not suggestion. This is the word of God. Amen. So it says in 37, 
They were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Pray and just believe in God and sit on the bench the rest of your life and never lift a finger. No. Peter said, Repent. The word repent means turn around. That's what it means. Turn around. Do the opposite of what you've been doing. Not saying I don't have to. Not taking this this whole thing I put right here is opposite of self-defense, of a defensive spirit. Opposite of defending yourself. Oh, uh, I don't need to change, or I can't change, or I'm not going to change, or I was born this way, or it's just who I am, or whatever. That's opposite of everything I just preached. We must change. So it says repent. So your next step, this is a process of repenting. And your next step in repenting is to actually do different. So to do different, you've got to stop, stop, stop. This, stop this, stop this, stop this. Over a process. Stopping so much from day one, next week, stop a little bit more next month, stop a little bit more next year, stop a little bit more. It's a continued process of removing leavening out of your house. Remove leaven. That's stopping sin. And then, doing what's right. Amen. You've got to stop the wrong and do what's good. Amen. Change from the old to the new. Stop the old and start new. Stop thinking the old way start thinking a new way. Stop acting the old way start acting a new way. Being transformed and new not only in mind, but in actions and words and deeds and appearance and actions. Amen. Repent. That's what repent means. Turn around, stop and go. And each of you be baptized. So then you got to get baptized in the water. Must be baptized. Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again. Must be. Not a suggestion. And he was saying you must be born of water and spirit. That means to be baptized in water and receive the Holy Ghost. That's what this is talking about right here in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized. Baptized in what name? In the name of Jesus Christ. Why be baptized? For the forgiveness of your sins. For the forgiveness of your sins. And what happens there? Next, you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What happens next? Then you continue on. Hebrews 10 talks about continuing not forsaking the fellowship of yourselves together, right? 
All the verses talk about continuing, staying to the end, enduring to the end, not turning back, not turning back to the mud, not turning back to the vomit, not removing your hand from the plow, not continuing in sin. So many verses about what you continue then, how they continued in the breaking of bread daily, talking about eating together, communing together, giving up their possessions, coming all together to be a house of God. Putting God first, putting the kingdom of God first, rather than trying to just go go along with capitalism, the pursuit of money, but putting the next kingdom, giving up this kingdom, living for the next kingdom. Amen. So part of this renewing is getting rid of the kingdom of the devil. So then you got to go through this process. Now this is the initial. Now let's talk about process. Now, in the process, that is course, prayer, daily prayer, praise, daily praise, fasting, continued repentance, continued removal, sin, darkness, and fellowship with the devil. This is removal of sin, darkness, fellowship with the devil. Continued daily fellowship of saints and texts, all letters or in person, group outings, whatever, fellowship. So you got to stop one thing. Add something else. Stop fellowship with the devil. Start fellowship with the saints. Um, replace whatever you was doing with your prayer time and praise time. Actually uh, taking the time at home to lift your arms to God, to praise God, to worship God, to get down on your knees, to call, call out to God, to cry out to God, to search your heart, to take time to talk everything out, vent everything out, share all your frustrations and everything with God. Taking time to do that. It takes time to do that. So replacing 
the time that we used to spend looking at magazines, watching TV, and stuff like that, and replacing that with time with God in prayer and praise. Also doing fasting, repentance, removal of pornography, removal of images, removal of uh, things that tempt us, books, anything that in, in our house that tempts us need to be thrown away. Now, we also could add to that list there uh, anointing yourself often. So I really recommend to anoint often. If you're in a spiritual warfare, you better be anointing yourself. So you take oil, olive oil, vegetable oil, sunflower oil, any kind of oil, and just put it on your forehead and say, I anoint myself in the name of Jesus. And then you can go around in your house and go, I anoint in the name of Jesus. Or you can just go, the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus. Stuff like that. And go around your house, casting out the devil, speaking spiritual warfare, commanding the evil spirits to leave, Abandoning them and say, you're not allowed no more, never come back, never return. Go out to the mailbox, your property, your driveway, your car, everything. Anoint, 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 anoint. Just go crazy anointing. Do that on a regular basis. We can't do that enough. We're in a war. We're in a war, and it's a real war. Let's turn to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. The 19. Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 19. How many of you know if we're in a war with the Muslims and a Muslim comes in here start doing their unholy prayer and speaking in their demonic tongues don't you know that every guy in here is going to get up and take them by force and throw them out and command them to never come back amen Amen. so and the same thing with uh, uh, all kinds of different sinners that would come in for the purpose of disrupting the service so we're in a war ain't we we're in a war. And that war is very, very, very real. So, if we're going to be in the Olympics, don't you train every day, daily, for the Olympics? When you want to win the gold medal, then don't we, don't we know the person that's going to win the gold medal for swimming swims every day? And they keep their bodies exercised and their mind exercised. Amen. Verse 10 here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's talking about the devil is the prince of the air. 
So we got to turn off the TV, turn off Hollywood, the DVDs and the movies and stuff, unless it's a DVD only for God's instructors and righteous. But if it's an instruction in Hollywood, we got to turn those things off. Got to turn off those spiritual forces of wickedness. Verse 13, therefore, take up the full armor of God. That's talking about putting on armor for war, for self-defense, and for fighting back. If you put on armor, you're not only defending yourself, but you're also getting ready to fight back, both uh, defensive and, what's the other word? Offensive. Good class. (laughs) Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. We're in the evil day right now. And having done everything to stand firm. Does that mean just doing this, but not doing this? Or just doing both this and this, but not doing this? Or doing this and this and this, but not doing this? Doing everything. 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 To stand firm. Verse 14. Stand firm there for having girded your loins with truth. Not with false doctrine, but with truth. So if we're going to be transformed into the image of God, this image right here is an image of a warrior of God. And God is on the white horse in front of us on that day of the battle of Armageddon that he is coming down out of the sky and we are following him as his army. And we have on our armor and we are in a war on that last day, even now. So... It's not always lovey-dovey, but sometimes you have to fight. Sometimes you have to fight. And this loins grow about with truth, that's not any old doctrine. That's not potato chip doctrine. That's not grape juice doctrine. That is the meat of the Word of God. That's not milk doctrine. This is not baby bottle doctrine. This is the meat of God, true doctrine, doctrine that is studied out from Genesis to Revelation, doctrine that is deeply studied out the truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness to guard your heart, guard our heart, to guard our heart, and having shown your feet for the preparation of the gospel of peace. Amen. The gospel of peace not seeking revenge, but the gospel of peace. Verse 16. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil, evil ones. We've got to have faith. We've got to be a people of faith. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. That helmet of salvation protects your whole head, your eyes, your ears, your mind. So that helmet protects what you're allowing into your ear gates and your eye gates and protects your mind, your forehead. So we have to protect our mind. Now, a bird might fly by. You can't keep a bird from flying through the parking lot. Amen? But you can keep that bird, well, he might start, you can see that bird trying to start setting nests over your door or a wasp. So a wasp would even be a better one. You can't help a wasp from flying around or a hornet from flying around. But once you start seeing them say, hey, I'm going to make home here, you can intervene and say, no, I'll ban you. 
from this. You will not live in my mind. We're going to have temptation. We cannot help that the devil is going to throw darts at us. We cannot help. There are going to be temptations to enter, go through our mind. But we can say, no, and no, you will not abide there. You will not stay there. I cast you out. I command you to leave. I command you to not return. We have to start fighting and guard our mind and speak spiritual warfare. I really encourage everybody to print out from the website the spiritual warfare list of statements that you can say, that you can speak over yourself, such as, I am delivered, I have the mind of Christ, I am saved, I am redeemed, and a whole list of things to say over yourself, to reaffirm and to practice spiritual warfare, cast things out, to prevent things, to block things. I really encourage you to check that out. I saw the light ministries.com slash warfare dot html. And if we're fighting hard, then I recommend you read through that list every day. The harder that you're having to fight, the harder the attacks is coming against you, the harder you got to fight back. We don't want to fight half-heartedly. But we have to fight hard in this war. Not carnal, not with swords, not with guns, but the weapons of our warfare are mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. We can pull down that wasp nest. Amen. We have to destroy these spiders, these wasps, these evil nests of Babylon, of Hollywood, evil deeds, darkness, and cursing, homosexuality, witchcraft, love of TVs, love of movies, love of sci-fi, love of cartoons. So all these things are things of the past. We also have to remove uh, the uh, false doctrine of circumcision, that all men must be circumcised. That's of the devil. We know that. A condemning spirit, over-condemning, over-judgmental spirit, false doctrines of... of uh, the traditions of men of keeping Christmas and Easter, believing God is three people. And they say, no, we believe he's one. But then the next moment, no, he's three in one. So they're contradicting themselves. My Bible teaches me there's one God, one spirit. We're baptized into one spirit, not three people. Coming out of the Sunday churches of lies. Stop teaching that heaven is my home because Matthew 5 and Psalm 37 says, the meat shall inherit the earth. We've got to come out of the false doctrines of man because these corrupt our mind. These corrupt our armor. These corrupt our hearts, our minds, our spirits. Very corrupting. To drink a little bit of that poison, it corrupts the whole thing. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. We have to stop being gullible to conspiracy theories like Jade Ham. Remember Jade Ham was supposed to uh, invade Texas. The United States government was going to invade Texas and take over Texas. It's a wonder they didn't lock up every Christian in the United States over the Jade Ham conspiracy theory because the Christians were immature, gullible, not having in the whole armor of God, not being filled with the Holy Spirit to say, that's foolishness, that's stupid. That was the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life, using Walmarts for martial law centers. Come on, grow up, people. 
ridiculous thing to say, I'm saved, I'm saved. You don't even know if they're using Walmart for martial law or for a store. It's ridiculous. I'm not here to punch you in the mouth that maybe I need to slap you in the face. <laughs> maybe I need to just grab onto you and say, hey, come on now. It's time to just get right. Time to just get right. Am I saved or not saved? Do I have a discernment or not? Do I have the Holy Spirit or not? Do I have the mind of Christ or not? What do I, if I don't, then what do I need to do to get that? And then start applying the action plan. Throw this away, throw that away. Turn this off, turn that off. Stop and go. Turn around. Stop going one way, turn around, start going the other way. Amen. Growing up, maturing. Stop being gullible to the Internet. If you're gullible to the Internet, destroy your computer. Destroy it. I'm serious. I don't care if it costs a million dollars. If you're gullible, if you fail for J to him, I beg you to throw that computer away. If you thought, even for one second, J to him was anything, please throw that stupid computer away. Because if we're so childish that we fall for those stupid things, then we don't need that thing of the devil in our house that we're so gullible to that's weakening us and making us look like fools to the world. How are we going to be the body of Christ, the government of God on this earth, if we're looking like fools? And our, our love of guns and everything its making the church look foolish. The church looks just like the world. No wonder people don't want to go to church. We are hypocrites, all right. So what are we going to do to change that? What are we going to do to change it? Stay the same or change? Amen? Are we going to change? It's up to you. Your decision, I can't force you. I can slap you, but I can't force you. Now, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. That helmet of salvation protects you from anything set in that root in your mind. It protects you from false doctrine. It protects you from being gullible. It protects you from all the evil thoughts and the sword of the Spirit. That sword of the Spirit cuts. That sword of the Spirit can destroy the enemy. It's the Word of God. It's the true Word of God. Word of God. It is not a watered-down gospel. It is bold. It is strong. The sword of the Spirit is a double-edged sword. The Word of God. Verse 18, with all prayer and petition, Praying all times in the Spirit. That don't mean in tongues. That don't mean in tongues. It means with the Holy Spirit in you, not praying to win the lottery, not praying to win a billion dollars. I confess, I played a few tickets, but not a long time. It's been tempting, but I said, no, I'm not going to waste my money no more. It's throwing out those, those temptations. Throwing out the temptations. Staying in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. If you're walking in the Spirit, does that mean you're praying in the Spirit? No. Praying at all times in the Spirit. With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Praying, 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 praying. 
We're in a war. We've already prayed up and pray on my behalf that others may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. You don't want a preacher afraid to condemn you of your sins. You don't want that kind of preacher. Pray for me for the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Amen. Praise God. So we've got to continue this process. Process. We're moving. False doctrine. Sinful things. Images. Movies. Hollywood. Changing our mind. A trans- transformation. And progress. Now let's go to Romans 8. Here's our goal. Romans 8, verse 29. Romans 8, 29. So we had the initial, but then we had the process. Now here's our goal. to look like Christ. Amen. Romans 8.29 Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. No, I don't look like Jesus yet, but that's my goal. And I'm never going to get there if I don't confess my sin. I'm never going to get there if I'm not willing to confess what I've done wrong. We, we have to acknowledge our sins, our downfalls, our shortcomings, every one of them, the hidden and the unhidden. We have to search ourselves deep and get rid of every impurity to be conformed to the image of his son. That is our goal. When it comes to resurrection, if we're not in the image of Jesus Christ, we are not going to be trying to spare. There is no sin, corruption, or defilement of the glorious and perfect kingdom of God. I believe in grace. I believe in mercy. Only by grace and mercy does he accept us back. After everything we did, after everything we did, he still accepts us back the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time. He's all about mercy and grace. But there's also a finish line. And when you get to that finish line, there's going to be no mercy, no grace. The judgment starts first with the house of God. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hand of God. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3. Verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 to verse 17. If you throw your computer away, you can still listen to me over your phone. 
or I can send you a CD, and you can listen to me on your CD player until you shoot your CD player. Praise God. <laughs> Verse 12, therefore having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so you can't see, neither have your eyes open, so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away, the old covenant, but their minds were hardened. This is talking about the Hebrew roots people. For until this very day, and the Jews, now the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is, it's removed in Christ once it's removed. So these Hebrew roots people, these Y-name people, they have a veil hiding, covering their face. It's like scales, like Cadillacs on your eyes. And it's the old laws, the Old Covenant, circumcision, clean and unclean meats and all that. And, all, and the jade ham and foolishness and immaturity and milk of the word, all these things that hinder us. And that veil over our eyes, that Cadillac on our eyes may be Hollywood as well, pornography and any sin in our lives. Verse 14, but to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, that's turning around, coming away from the old, coming to the new. To the Lord, the veil is taken away. But the Lord is the Spirit. And with the Spirit the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen. Liberty to say the name of Jesus. Liberty to raise your hands to worship God. Liberty to shout for God, to sing for God, to dance for God, to exercise the gifts of the Spirit, to speak in true tongues. Liberty to take the wine and the bread on Passover. Liberty to come together as one body on, on Passover, if we have turned to Jesus Christ, if we have turned to Jesus, verse 18, that we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. When we move, remove those Cadillacs, when we remove the sin, we can see God. Glory to the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the, uh, from the Lord the Spirit. So the answer is, to look to Jesus, to look to Jesus. So when you're in prayer, you're looking to Jesus. When you're praising him, you're looking to Jesus. When you're fasting, you're looking to Jesus. When you're anointing yourself and anointing your property, you're looking to Jesus. So we got to put our eyes on Jesus, not on the conspiracy, not on the government, not on what this person's doing wrong and that person's doing wrong, but our eyes on Jesus. Amen. Our focus must be on the Lord. We can keep all the commandments and still be lost. We've got to have our eyes on the Lord. That's what the Hebrew roots people do wrong, is they don't have their eyes on God. They have their eyes on the letter of the law. They have their eyes on the 600 and some commandments. They have their eyes on being over-condemned and over-judgmental and all kinds of false doctrines and studying this and studying that and learning nothing but long, never able, much research, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Look at chapter 4, verse 18. Chapter 4, verse 18. 
While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. But things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not, are not seen are eternal. So if we get our eyes on the temporal, our eyes are just totally thinking about only things about cars, only things about sports, women, sex, pornography, masturbation, unclean laws, legalism. If that's what we're looking at, then that's what we're going to look like. Whatever we're looking like, listening to, allowing in our ears and in our eyes, that's what we're going to become. We are what we eat spiritually. Amen? We've got to be careful what we eat spiritually. If we know they're telling lies, we better not listen to them. We better close our ears. Because we are what we eat spiritually as the body of Christ, Jesus. Now let's look at 1 John 3. Over there in your Revelation, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Verse 1 to verse 9. We're almost done. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 9. Praise Jesus. 1 John 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure, talking about Jesus. So we have to have that process coming to that goal of being looking like Jesus, being purified without sin. Verse 4, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. He didn't appear that we can just stay the way we are. But he appeared to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one abides in him sins. No one who has sinned has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure. If we want to see him in that first resurrection, it says, no one who sins has seen him. How can you see Jesus in that first resurrection if we're still sinning? For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more a sacrifice of sin. There is no mercy, no grace at the judgment seat of Christ. There's mercy in this life because he'll always take you back time and time and time again. But at the finish line, if you have mercy then, then God himself will compromise and say, well, I know you still live for the devil, but I'm going to let you in the kingdom, and my whole kingdom will be corrupt, and it'll be just like the life we live now. Do we want heaven? Do we want paradise? 
Do we want the fullness of the kingdom or do we want paradise to be just like we have now? Compromise. It can't be compromised. Verse 7, little children make no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteousness just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, but the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Did Jesus appear only for mercy and grace? No, he appeared to destroy. Think not I have come to bring peace, but a sword. Amen. To destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed, talking about the Holy Ghost, abides in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. If you're born of a giraffe, are you a pig? No. If you're born of a giraffe, you are a giraffe. Where did that come from? I don't know. <laughs> if you're born of a cat, are you a dog? If you're born of a dog, are you a cat? If you're born of God, are you the devil? No. If you're born of God, you are his child. You are the child of God. So, the dogs and the pigs, oink, oink. But I'm not be told, acting and talking like the other one. Don't talk like a pig. Cat like a duck? It is a duck. Okay. Enough foolishness. Hey, where's the white coats? Where's the white coats? Why are they not locked me up yet? I need to testify to some people. I need to testify to the lost souls in prison in the mental hospital. Last time I was in the mental hospital, I did not testify, so I need to go back so I can testify. <laughs> did you testify that you was in the mental hospital? You did? <laughs> well, I didn't testify, so I got to go back correct that. Uh... <laughs> Okay, that's good. Oh, we love you, Jennifer. Love you, Prophet Larry, on the internet. Okay. So it's very clear. Let's look at one more passage. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Verse 17 to 27. James 1, verse 17 to 27. That might be the last verse. We'll see. Not the last verse. (laughs) Amen. Praise God. There's 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light, with which, with whom there is no variance or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. If you hear the word, you're convicted, you confess your sins, you repent, you get baptized, you're brought forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. 
the first of its kind, different, peculiar from the word, set apart from the world, a first fruit of the harvest. First fruit of the harvest. Verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, so that when somebody corrects you, you don't automatically kick in to the self-defense mode, but rather you're slow to speak, quick to listen, hear them out, listen. Why are they sharing this? Where are they coming from? What scriptures are they using? What is the foundation? Listen. Let them finish their argument. Let them finish it out. Say everything they came to say. And if necessary, say, let me think about this before I respond. Call me tomorrow. Give me a week. Whatever. We got to be slow to speak and slow to anger. Another chapter of the Bible says that love is not easily provoked. Amen. Verse 20. Well, it says here in verse 19, slow to speak, slow to anger. Verse 20. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, cutting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility. That's different than self-defense. In humility. Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word. That once you receive that word, you're going to follow through. Amen. That there is a change. That the word of God took effect. That that seed that was planted by the word of God does spring forth. There is a change. There is a transformation. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not mere hearers who delude themselves. Let us not deceive ourselves and think we're saved if we're not. Verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks not at Jesus, but looks at his natural face, his carnal self, in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So not every person that hears the word will bear fruit. Not every person that hears the word is going to make it into the kingdom. Not everyone that says it to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in. But he that does, the book of James is all about doing, doing. Not just believe, for even the devils believe, James says. We have to do, do things. Verse 26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, if he calls you up cussing you out, he thinks he's religious. He thinks he's saved. He just proved, right? Just proved that he's not saved. Yet does not bridle his tongue. For if they call you and text you, text you, text you, call you, call, call, you won't leave you alone after you disfellowship, they prove they're not saved. Prove they're not saved. People on Facebook all the time, constantly, 
one thing they oppose on the wall is a Bible verse or some kind of doctrine promoting the Word of God. And then the next thing they post on their wall is they're sharing something of the world, sharing uh, something demonic, satanic, showing off their tattoo or whatever, or cursing, actually cursing just after they posted something. Or they post something that somebody did in the government, post something a Muslim did, post something Obama did or a Muslim did or or the king of Saudi Arabia did, or the king of Iran did, and say this word and that word cussing about what they've done. You just proved all the Bible verses you just shared in the last month were out the window. I'm not listening to you. I might as well delete you as my friend on Facebook because I'm not supposed to be fellowshipping with people who cannot browder their tongue. But I'm guilty of this too. I do not yet look like Christ. I'm not yet attained. Paul said, I do not, have not yet attained. I have not yet attained. But I do believe that I, that I show for the works of repentance. I do believe that in what little bit of time that Anthony and Chris has known me that I've repented of sins, that I've changed doctrine, that i changed from this to that, because I'm reading, because I'm hearing from God, because I'm growing, because I'm changing. So you have to continue to change. It don't matter. We've known God 50 years and preached for 50 years. If we've not changed our mind on any doctrine in a whole year, then we're stagnant. We're lukewarm. We're not growing. Pastors, lay members, and everybody need to be growing, changing our doctrine, studying the scriptures. Growing, showing a process, getting it right eventually. It is a process. Amen. This man's religion is worthless. Verse 27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. In other words, becoming the image of Christ, becoming that bride without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. Becoming that bride without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. To keep ourselves unstained from the world, not acting like the world. One more place, Colossians 2. Colossians 2. That's right after Philippians. Right before 1 Thessalonians. And actually, let's look at, I think I said two, but let's see chapter 1. Colossians 1, verse 9 to 23. Colossians 1, verse 9 to 23. Verse 9 says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of him, his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk 
in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, glorious giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us in share to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain, the control, the bondage of darkness and transformed us to the kingdom of his beloved son. It's from one domain to another domain, from one government to another government, from one kingdom to another kingdom, from the domain of darkness and transformed us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the Father. He is the reflection in the mirror of the Father. There's not two people there. When you look in the mirror, you see yourself. Jesus is that mirrored image of the Father. We have no man has seen God. We've only seen the reflection of God, the image of God, Jesus Christ, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth. Talking about Jesus. He created all things. He is God. How do people say Jesus ain't God? It is so clear. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, rather thrones or dominions. So even the throne of God was made by Jesus. Even the throne of God was made by Jesus. Or dominion or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, There was nobody born from the dead until Jesus. So how can people say everybody in the Old Testament is in heaven? Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Not Moses. Nobody in the Old Testament. John says no man has ascended up to heaven except for Jesus, except for the Son of Man who came down from heaven, however it says that. Firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were, past tense, formerly alienated, meaning foreign, Remember that in Exodus it said the foreigners shall not partake of it? But now we're not foreigners, are we? If we're, our hearts have been circumcised, been cut by the word of God, if we've been convicted, we've turned around, we've been baptized, we've received the Holy Spirit, we are no longer foreigners. We are no longer alienated. But now we are spiritual Jews. He is a, he is a Jew of one inwardly that his heart has been circumcised. Not that we keep the old covenant, though. Hostile, we were hostile in mind. We were. I was hostile in mind. Engaged in evil deeds. 
yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. And when we were baptized, we symbolize that crucifixion, not only of Jesus, but ourselves. When we were baptized, we go down in that water, we are partaking in a funeral. And when we come up, we're partaking in the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. We're being crucified in Christ, resurrected in Christ. We die to ourselves. We're a new creature. We're not the, not the same. We are born again at baptism, not at prayer. How can you be born in prayer? You're born, you come through the water in order that you present yourself before him, holy. When you stand at that judgment seat, when you present yourself as a living sacrifice, the other verse said, when you present yourself holy and blameless and without reproach, meaning without shame. So how are we going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ knowing we're still looking at pornography, we still got false doctrines, we still got this or that, this and that, we're still gullible to things, we're not mature, we're not fully grown. How are we going to stand there and not shrink back? How, we, how is he going to allow us into the fullness, the perfection of the kingdom, his perfected kingdom? He's building a kingdom. Are we going to destroy his kingdom or perfect it? Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. It started with hearing the word of God and being convicted, but you're not being moved away from that true gospel, which was proclaimed in all creation, to all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Amen. Praise God. So, thank you for bearing with me. Thank you for letting me stomp your toes, slap you around. Thank you very much. For being my brothers and sisters, brothers wrathful, don't we? Praise God. Okay, I can wrestle with my sister too. <laughs> <laughs> Husband and wives definitely wrestle and fight. Not me and my wife, though, of course. Praise God. Let's do a song. Don't turn that uh my heart is steadfast. Page ten.
go in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this service, for the Sabbath day. Thank you so much for your word, your truth that you placed in him's heart and that he's brought forth to us. Father, I thank you for Marshall being here. I thank you for all the congregation that's listening over the phone and over the internet. And uh, we just praise you and we love you. We thank you so much, Lord, for your grace and mercy, but also for your refinement, also that you're changing us and you're purifying us and you're getting us ready. Let us be a, a bride without spot or blemish, Lord. Help us. We all have faults. We all have things that we need to work on. And we just ask you to help us to have the mind and heart to be obedient to you. We love you and we magnify you and we thank you for all your blessings. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Okay, so I encourage everybody to meet back. We're going to have a food fellowship and fill out cards and everything. So we'll go into the other room and everybody that's listening over the internet and over the phone, thank you for listening. And I encourage you to check out the ministry website, isawthelightministries.com. And uh, anybody that wants a copy of the Alpha and Omega Bible, I've not done yet, but I'm in the process of working on that translation. It's only the book of Genesis, Exodus, John, and Revelation, uh, and Micah. There's five books of the Bible. And hopefully, God willing, that'll be done before the end of this month. And then anybody that wants a copy, let me know. Uh, call me, email me, text me, whatever, and I'll be glad to send you a copy. I don't charge anything for anything. Get the songbooks out. Also, anybody that wants a songbook, if we're not talking about it yet, if you don't have one yet, let me know if you want some songbooks. So, I ain't got no voice left, so I guess I have to shut up. All right, love you very much. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, God.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.